Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. November 5th, Day 3, A Cold Chill. We spent the day bouncing around, gathering different interviews. We tried anything we could to stay away from the fraternity house. Word quickly spread what had happened the night before, and we could tell that the brothers as a collective were pissed off at Forrest. What he did basically jeopardized the entire pledge class. We heard that later in the day, there was an emergency fraternity meeting convened. It was to let all of the fraternity brothers know that Forrest was not to haze any of us for the rest of the semester. His hazing privileges have been revoked. The majority of our day was spent danger-free because the brothers seemed to be scared of any negative repercussions from the previous night. There was a slight power shift in our favor, but it wouldn't last long. When we were in the library, Celeste and Claire came by to try to sneak us out to their house. We told them that we couldn't sneak out, and we couldn't come over after the library either. They asked if it was because we had to sleep at the chapter house. We said yes, and that was a huge mistake. When it was 10pm library closing time, we met Ron Russo sitting on the front sofa of the library lounge. He walked us to the chapter house and told us to go down to the basement and get some sleep. The house seemed empty. Not even Kyle was upstairs. We were alone at last. We started talking amongst ourselves, as per our usual, laughing and having a good time. That's about the time we heard fate calling, in the form of two extremely intoxicated women. Where's my strikes? Where's my two-strike? We heard a voice screaming from outside the house. We kept hearing shouting outside, and we stopped talking amongst ourselves. Our ears instantly perked up, and we wondered if we were about to get hazed. Or if it was Claire and Celeste. Boys, we need our boys. Come on, boys, where are you? Get out here, screamed Claire. We knew this wasn't good. Come on, boys, come outside, Celeste yelled. We knew they were very drunk, but we thought we'd be safe in the house. We were in the basement, and they would never think to come down there. They were still outside the house. Then the unthinkable happened. Because the houses are always open, the girls let themselves in the back door and came into the kitchen. We heard the screen door on the porch crash shut, and the girls stomped through the kitchen. Boys, we know you are here, Claire yelled. We could hear them walking around upstairs while they called out to us. They walked around and around the house, but couldn't find us. Then, like two sex-crazed drunken nympho detectives, they found a clue. Are you guys down there? They screamed from the top of the creepy basement stairs. Tony moved and they heard him. We know you're down there. Are you down there? Yes, Tony said. We all looked at him with fierce eyes. He had blown our potential hiding spot. Claire came downstairs and told Celeste to wait for her. Claire was now behind the curtain. She saw the spray-painted walls, the basement we were hazed in, and now she knew we were all down there getting hazed. We couldn't imagine things could get any worse for us but they did. Claire begged John and I to leave with her. When I said we couldn't, she asked if I could just leave then. I said no, because if the brothers came down to the basement and any of us were missing, we were fucked. I should have just left. Your entire life would have been different. Yes. There was no reasoning with this girl. She needed dick, and so did her girlfriend. 
She tried everything. Then she said she wasn't leaving without me. This was a serious problem. We kept arguing in the basement until we heard stomping coming from the upstairs bedrooms. Then we heard someone run down the chapter house stairs and through the party rooms. What the fuck are you doing here, Celeste? Zeke said, seeing Celeste in the kitchen. Zeke didn't even have to shout. He was a G, one of the few I've met in my life, and just being scorned by him was enough. Celeste, are you here alone? Is all we could hear Zeke say upstairs as he escorted her out the way she came. Zeke walked back through the kitchen and to the top of the stairs. Schmegs? Yes, I answered. Who's down there? Schmegs, I replied. Who? Zeke asked again, with less patience in his voice. Me, James, John, and Tony, I answered. Who else is down there? There was a long, unsettling pause. Claire, Tony said. Why is Claire downstairs, Tony? This is one of those moments now that's hysterical if you, like, had it word for word. But back then it was not hysterical. But I'm so happy that we documented all of this. I just like that there was a long pause. Claire. Claire. <laughs> she just said no one and then let him come down and, like, hit her somewhere. Claire, come up here right now. Zeke demanded. Claire didn't want to go upstairs. We shoved her to the base of the stairs so Zeke could see her. Get up here, he said to her. She flipped me off and walked up the stairs. He took her outside and told her not to come back again that night. We could hear him shout from the back door. Now we were scared. All of you, up to my room now, Zeke said. We came upstairs, ready for an absolute shitstorm, but we just weren't sure what it could be. Zeke let us all walk by him as we made our way to his bedroom. While we were walking up there, he went outside and started screaming at Claire and Celeste. We sat on Zeke's bedroom floor, and John laid on his bed, while we waited for Zeke to come back inside to yell at us. When he was done yelling at the girls, he sent them home and came upstairs. When he walked into his room, he looked at me. What do you think you are, Strikes? A little pimp? You bringing girls into the house to fuck while you're getting hazed, baby strizzles? Trying to get that little dick wet? Zeke asked. I couldn't help but laugh, because he was funny and correct. This wasn't my fault, though, because I didn't invite her over. I tried pleading my case, but it only got worse. I was going to be hazed for sneaking girls into the house, and for lying to Zeke about having Claire in the basement when he asked me. Tony was also going to get hazed for ratting us all out and not stopping it from happening. James wouldn't be hazed because he was the most innocent of all of us. Zeke said Tony and I were going to get ice baths. He said he wasn't going to give Knowles an ice bath because he was the pledge president and John was his grand little. Zeke also said that me taking the ice bath would make John suffer even more. Boy, was he wrong. Tony and I were the ones that were going to suffer. John, I want you to go buy ice. Take this money and bring back as many bags of ice as you can carry. Zeke told John, giving him $20. Having to go get ice without a car is also sort of like getting hazed, though, because having to carry cold bags of ice back sucks. Yeah, it's like going to pick your own switch. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot of ice money, I thought. John went on his way, and Zeke began to lecture, James, Tony, and I. Zeke brought us into the bathroom and started running the water, 
He told me that when John got back, I was going to write, that chick is not worth it, 100 times on a piece of paper. Tony wouldn't have to write anything. Instead, he would get an ice bath for exactly half the time it took me to finish writing, so I needed to write quickly. John got back in what seemed like a flash. He had three bags of ice with him. Sorry, this is all I could carry, and it was really cold. Here's your change. Strikes, strip down to your boxers and get into the tub, Zeke told me. What about my shoes? I asked. James will watch them for you, Zeke said, offering my shoes to James. I got into the tub, which was already freezing because of the cold water in it. Now, pour all the ice into the tub, John, Zeke said. John proceeded to rip open the bags of ice and pour them into the tub. As the ice cubes hit my body, they were more hard than cold. A few seconds later, the freezing started setting in. John looked at me and lipped, sorry. Zeke passed me a paper and a pen. Start writing, Strizzles. That chick is not worth it. A hundred times. However long you take, Tony will get an ice bath that's half as long. Zeke sent John back to the store to buy more ice with the change that John had given him. Get three more bags, Johnny Blaze, and don't be slow like last time. John left out of the cramped bathroom and ran back to the store to get more ice. James and Tony both stood next to the bathtub, and Zeke sat on the toilet seat. He tried explaining that he didn't want to have to haze me, and that he had heard the girls outside before they came in. He told us that he knew they came inside and wanted to see how we'd handle it, and he was disappointed in how we did. Zeke went on to tell me that he didn't want me to jeopardize the fraternity because Claire or Celeste could easily go telling people we were in the basement of the chapter house getting hazed for a week, and that would be it. Our fraternity would probably be kicked off campus if we would have gotten in trouble for hazing. Tony had already gotten us a $500 fine from Sweetheart Night and Parents Weekend. We had to be more careful with how we conducted ourselves and who we told what because it could impact something greater than ourselves something many men had worked many generations to support and keep growing. Even though there was a lot of logic in what Zeke was saying, I was cold, and it was hard to pay attention to him. I was writing, that chick is not worth it, as fast as I could, and I was starting to get pretty cold. My mind-body connection was slowly shattering. If you think you can write, that chick is not worth it, quickly, you're wrong. It's tough by hand. And when you have to do it a hundred times in an ice bath, it's mentally challenging. You would think it's a physical thing, but it's all in the mind when you're trying to accept cold. I was mad at Zeke for making me take an ice bath. So how can you, how could you ever deny anything that I've said in this book with what I just showed you there? That's insane. It's insane that you still have that. So while that was going on, I showed Eric my paper that said that chick is not worth it a hundred times. It took two sheets, one front and back, and then the other one front facing. It's absolutely wild that you still have that. It still feels wet. <laughs> like it was my fault the girls invited themselves over. It's not like I had intentionally snuck them into the house. They essentially trespassed into the house in an attempt to get us to escape. Our biggest failure was telling them that we were even there in the first place. Even if we disagreed with Zeke's hazing methods, he was right. The girls wouldn't have ever known we were there if we didn't expose ourselves and the fraternity. We couldn't be mad at the girls because they were just craving John and I's awesome loving. I couldn't even be mad at Tony for telling Zeke that Claire was in the basement 
because Zeke already knew she was down there before he asked. I could only be mad at myself. John came back with another three bags of ice. Zeke had John pour only one more in and told him to save the remaining two for Tony's ice bath. As I wrote more and more, my writing speed decreased rapidly and my ability to even write properly was fleeting. Zeke would occasionally leave the bathroom and watch sports with Knowles in his bedroom and then come back to see how I was doing. I made a funny parody song while I was in there. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, we're hating it. When I started taking too long, Zeke's patience began running dry. It got to a point where I couldn't even write anymore, but I did finish at 100 lines. I double-checked before calling Zeke back into the room. Even though I was done, he didn't let me out. He asked me again, Soul strikes, was it worth it? I was such an arrogant prick, because all I wanted to say was yes. I could waste his time all night. Instead, for the sake of my pledge brothers, I said, No, Zeke, it wasn't worth it. He asked if I had learned my lesson. But you know what, bro? It was fucking worth it, because I was a legend for having girls sneak themselves into the basement to want to get with John and I. Yeah, it's definitely a ballsy move. And it wasn't like we invited them. They just came over. So, again, it wasn't us. It was them. And let me get out after I said yes and apologized to him. When Zeke told me that my ice bath was done, I got out and looked for something to dry off with. I ended up drying off with a face cloth I found in the downstairs bathroom. For whatever reason, the brothers didn't have a towel in any of their bathrooms. I was freezing when it was Tony's turn to take his ice bath, and I did feel really bad for him. I didn't wish that upon anyone, but when I was in there, I handled it like a man. By the time that it was Tony's turn for an ice bath, a majority of his ice had started to melt. When Tony had his ice bath, he made it seem like he was going to die. I thought that I had it bad, having had loads of ice in the bath. Tony was acting like he was having an epileptic seizure after about 5 or 10 minutes in the ice bath. Zeke eventually let him out, after another few minutes. Tony dried off with the face cloth and was cold all night. We were worried he was going to get sick. Kyle was out of town, so we took all the cushions that he pissed on, flipped them over, and slept on them again in the basement. All night, Tony and I talked about how cold we were. James and John commented on how bad we were in for more hazing because of what happened. We knew the hazing wasn't over. It was only over from Zeke for that evening. He had spent a good three hours hazing us that night. We started talking about how nice it would be to take some psychedelics and reset our moods. We could transition ourselves from our anxious states to a more relaxed, calm state. We started talking about how we'd like to get mushrooms, but that it would be impossible to find any. Then John explained to us what robo-tripping was and how he had done it before in high school. You know those conversations that you don't wish you had ever started because of what they led to? This was one of them. Yeah, that, this sounds like one of those. November 6th, Day 4, Robo-Tripping. From the moment we woke up in the morning, John was determined that we were all going to robo-trip later that night. Robo-tripping is hallucinating from drinking a bunch of cough syrup. Essentially, overdosing. At this point, it seemed like not a half-bad idea. How could the brothers haze someone that was tripping balls? Since it was Saturday, 
All the brothers wanted a piece of us. We cleaned pretty much every brother's house, grabbing any interview we could in the process. By the next day, the entire fraternity had heard that John and I tried to sneak Claire and Celeste into the chapter house. They also heard that Tony and I each had our first ice bath as the punishment. Eric Davis asked me why John didn't have to take an ice bath, and why did Zeke make Tony take a bath? I explained, it was because John was Zeke's grandlittle. He'd suffer more if I had a bath. I had lied, and because Tony was the one who ratted. Eric said that it was a pretty awesome move, and people would remember it for a few semesters, but that I needed to prepare myself, because the hazing was just going to get worse. The afternoon flew by quickly, since we were busy little pledges. The sun was starting to come down, and we were given 30 minutes to run and get food. After that, we were to meet back at the chapter house for a night of hazing. This is when John decided that we needed to go to the convenience store to buy the cough syrup. On the way, he called James and Tony to ask if they were going to join us, and both of them backed out. John was upset and told me that he didn't want me to back out too. The convenience store didn't sell the specific cough syrup that John wanted, so we bought two bottles of some generic stuff instead. I told John I didn't think it was going to work. He pointed out that one of the active ingredients on the label was dextromethorin, so it would definitely work. We went to the Dalton food court and grabbed burgers and fries. We ate our food on the way back to the chapter house. When we got there, James and Tony were already there, just cleaning up around the house. John called them pussies for not wanting to robo-trip, and then at the last minute, I said I didn't know if it was a good idea and that we shouldn't do it. John got mad at me and peer pressured me to chug it, telling me he couldn't trip by himself. It didn't take a lot of peer pressure from my buddy John. I chugged the bottle and John chugged his. The sweet taste of cough syrup coated my throat. We tossed our little bottles into the trash can and waited for the effects to kick in. After 30 minutes, I complained to John that I wasn't feeling anything and it should have kicked in already. This is when the brothers started showing up to haze us. We were sent into the basement right away. We did air chairs and steamrollers, and then ate happy apples, onions. It wasn't long before the drugs kicked in. It was about another half hour into the hazing when LT was yelling at us for sneaking Claire and Celeste into the house when we lost it. John started uncontrollably laughing. This infuriated LT because he was interrupted and had to ask what was so funny. The brothers kept trying to get us to reset our Greek alphabet and other fraternal things we were supposed to have memorized, but it was next to impossible for John and I. I started laughing because John's laughter set me over the edge. Since John and I kept laughing, James got upset at us because they kept hazing us worse. One of the brothers yelled at us, Stop fucking laughing, you two idiots! Are you so fucking baked? Like, how do you keep yelling at two guys that no matter how much more you yell, they laugh even harder because, like, they aren't even there? So it's, you're getting angrier, but you're going up against a wall because there's no winning. Yeah, because you're oblivious. Yeah. Exactly. Spaced out John and Mike. Also, this was the second robo trip of my life. I had forgotten that the first time was in high school when uh, a couple friends and I had taken the exact same thing and gotten fucked up off of it and I was driving down a 
in the passenger seat of a car in shore drive and i remember screaming out i'm flying i'm flying because everything in the vehicle disappeared and i could just only see the road and other vehicles passing us and they're like whoa relax mike you're okay (laughs) that was summer school junior year amazing (laughs) you can't stop laughing the basement was full of brothers but I started to hallucinate so hard. All the brothers' bodies were shadows with floating blurry heads. I couldn't focus on anyone who was there other than LT. John and I had no idea what was going on, and because of this, James and Tony started getting even more mad at us. Eventually, one of the brothers asked James what was wrong with us, because this wasn't a normal high. They are tripping balls, James said. John and I erupted in laughter. LT started yelling. Are you tripping, you fuckers? He got right in our faces screaming, but we couldn't compose ourselves. We were tripping balls and hallucinating hard, so it was difficult to get anything going. LT started yelling at us to stop tripping, but we couldn't just stop tripping. Telling us to stop tripping actually made us trip harder. Trying to fight a hallucination always makes it seem more intense. After LT yelled, John said, I'm scared, Mike. Oh no, now I'm scared too, I cried. We're both really scared, we said to James and Tony. You guys are idiots, James said. I don't. We're just a roller coaster of emotions. I'm laughing so hard, I'm having a coughing fit. It's a good thing my mic is muted. I don't feel so good. I think I need some fresh air, John said, holding back a puke. Kyle looked at John and said, Would that help you sober up for hazing, John? We aren't letting you guys go tonight until we're done hazing you. Yeah, I think that would help, John said. Kyle watched us while LT escorted John upstairs. When John opened the door to go outside and the fresh air hit his face, we heard him puke hard. LT called me upstairs to help look after my pledge brother. When I got up there, I saw John standing and puking out the door. He puked a wonderful rainbow of colors from his hamburger and cheap cough syrup. Okay, so I remember tripping so hard that John was already puking like a rainbow of colors, but it was shooting out like Lucky Charms colors. I was like, oh! (laughs) LT told John to move outside, and he did. He continued puking on the lawn and steps to the door. There wasn't anything I could do to help John, so I just asked if he was okay and watched him get it all out. They asked what time we started tripping. They said they were going to make it twice as bad next time they hazed us. While John was puking, LT continued to tell him and I that he was disappointed that we had snuck girls into the basement the night before. The rest of the night went by fairly quickly for me, because I can't remember any of it. Wow. That's a story. Imagine a weekend of just not giving a fuck that much. Wow. Nothing? Good times. You don't even remember. Was I don't. It that long ago. It was that long ago. I have zero memory of you guys tripping balls while I hate. Why? I don't even remember being at that one. I don't know. God bless uh, writing. Writing and then waiting. Yeah. <laughs> November 7th, Day 5, Photo Hunt. 
The next morning, when I woke up, I was snuggled against my Pledge Brothers in that awful basement. It was a beautiful reset, just like John had said it would be. The last thing I could remember was a mental photo of LT yelling at me to stop tripping and John puking a rainbow outside. I asked the guys how the rest of the night went, and they told me it was awful. James asked me how I didn't remember any of it, and I said it was because I didn't throw up my cough syrup like John had. Apparently, we had been hazed for another three or four hours after John puked. Oh, what a what a victory on my part. Not having to remember three hours of hazing. You got to you got to trip for the rest of the night. Yes, I'm just like flying through space. They're like throwing shit in my face, making me eat onions. I'm probably thinking like I'm eating gold. I'm like, yes, I'm becoming one with nature or some stupid shit like that. Who the fuck knows? But I'm sure it was amazing if it was three hours of tripping face. On this fine reset morning. Zeke sent us to Sabaros for food. Before we got the chance to leave, James got a text with a list of things we had to find for a scavenger hunt. I think Sabaros, Subway, and a couple others in this are the only names that I didn't change of, like, restaurants or grocery stores or stuff like that. I don't think that's going to do any damage to them. <laughs> True! But it might do damage to me. The scavenger hunt started now, and we had three hours to finish it. It was an entirely photo-based scavenger hunt. We had to use my camera to take pictures of various things, a lot of them that required driving, even as far as Virginia Tech. Tech was about a 20-minute drive from Radford. That meant driving would total 40 minutes out of our three-hour window. We were confident we would have time to spare. When people talk about logistics coordinating, you have no idea how to coordinate logistics until you're a little pledge that's given negative time to complete any task. Now, in my head, I laugh when people are like, yeah, you got to do this by this time. I'm like, yeah, okay. Out loud, I say, that's probably not going to happen. But in my head, I'm like, oh, bitch, please. We got this. I got this. I got I got a plan already. The list. Number one, take three pictures with different girls, either licking or kissing us. Number two, take a picture of two girls kissing one another. Number three, take a picture in front of sharkies. Number four, take a picture of a gun range. Number five, take a picture of someone stealing a hamburger. Number six, take a picture of everyone pissing in public. Number seven, Take a picture of each sorority house on campus and their president. Number eight, take a picture of a road forking. Number nine, take a picture of a graveyard. Number 10, take a picture of someone's tits. Number 11, take a picture with a stranger in a restaurant kissing you. Number 12, take a picture in a restaurant eating food that isn't yours. Number 13, Take a picture inside a garbage dumpster. And number 14, take a picture of everyone on the 50-yard line of the Virginia Tech football field. We got up to leave when Zeke stopped us. Zeke said that we better go get his food before we left on our scavenger hunt. We ran and got his food because nobody wanted another ice bath. 
After we got Sabaros for Zeke, his favorite, we piled into James's car. Now with 20 minutes less on the clock, we drove to Virginia Tech. It wasn't hard to get a picture of most of the things that the brothers wanted. It just took a sharp eye or a persuasive speech. By the time we got to Virginia Tech, we had already taken a picture of a road forking, a graveyard, all of us pissing in public, and each sorority house on Radford's campus. While we were at each house, we were able to get pictures of the pledge presidents. We lucked out because it was Sunday, and most of them happened to be in their main houses. The girls that weren't, we took a picture of their president from sorority photos hanging inside their houses. We hadn't hopped into a dumpster yet, or taken a picture of many of the items, but we planned to when we were back in Radford. When we got to the Virginia Tech football field, the entrance that we went to was open. The stadium was undergoing some construction at the time, so there was a large crane over top a part of the stadium. We were able to walk right to the 50-yard line and take a picture with all of us in a circle. I spent most of the scavenger hunt in a dream state. This is an event where James and Tony carried the show. When we got back to Radford, we finished off the list by utilizing our resources. Once we had captured photos of everything on the list, we went back to Eric and Chippy's house. When we got there, I gave Eric my camera. He put all the pictures on his computer to make sure we had gotten everything. He didn't believe we had a picture of a girl's tits, but after some debate, he accepted all of our photos. This event had been our I'm pretty sure that you were like, this is somebody's ass, or this is an arm, because it was like an up-close shot. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we just like snapped it of cleavage. I honestly can't remember. No, I think we saw tits. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. wonder whatever happened to the computer I had back then. Or the camera. Gone. True lock-in. Basement week was another symbolic reminder that we were locked into pledging until pledging was done. Every day, someone in the pledge crew would say that they wanted to quit, and every time, someone else in the group would have to remind them to keep strong-willed. We'd have to remind one another, and ourselves, why we wanted to accomplish this, despite our suffering minds, and aching or stinking bodies. We were set free from the basement event after we turned in our pictures. We were told not to ever sneak girls over to the chapter house again during an event. We could sleep in our own beds that night. There wasn't going to be a pledge meeting. Instead, we were told that the 911 challenge would be that week and not to make any plans. Don't make any plans for your butthole because it's going to be on fire. Coming next week or tomorrow to uh, Earbud Near You. Heck yeah.